Well, welcome everybody to the Culinary Historians of Chicago for our monthly meeting and, uh, and on to tonight's program about Chicago bakeries and our speaker tonight, Jennifer Billick, uh, is going to talk about the sweet and doughy history of Chicago from pioneering bakers to today's cake makers. And uh, Jennifer um, is the author of the just published Historic Chicago Bakeries. You can see that on the screen right now. Uh, it's, it's published by the History Press. She is an award-winning writer, best-selling author, and writing coach covering some combination of food, travel, and history. Jennifer edits the Kitchen Witch newsletter and teaches food and travel writing classes. She is currently dreaming of an around-the-world trip with her Boston Terrier. The link to her website, which is jenniferbillock.com. And Jennifer and I had a little chat uh, yesterday about, about her program. And um, I, I told her about my favorite memory of, of a local bakery here, which probably nobody ever heard of. And when I was a kid in grammar school going to Nettlehurst School, I used to stop in at this little bakery right off Broadway. Um, it was near on Broadway and, and Briar. It was called the Briar Country Kitchen. And it was run by three very old ladies. I think they were all related. They were all sisters. And when you'd order a pure buttercream birthday cake from them, uh, it had old ladies hand writing on it that said happy birthday, you know, and like old people have, I shouldn't talk, I'm one of them, but uh, squiggly handwriting. And it was just wonderful. I loved everything they made there. And you could hardly get anything because it was always gone before you could get buy it. Everything was always sold out. And one day I went to buy some chocolate chip cookies and they weren't there. I hadn't been there in a few months. And again, I was a little kid and there was a shoe store where their bakery had been. And I couldn't understand that. And I guess that's the first time I realized that nothing lasts forever. And, and maybe maybe people don't live forever and die. So that was my uh, introduction to the mortal life through one of Chicago's wonderful bakeries. So Jennifer is going to talk about her experience with Chicago's bakeries. And I've looked at her book. It is rich in detail. So welcome, Jennifer. And let's let's get that oven door open and hear what you have to say. Thanks. Well, thank you. I think um, be a little bit, uh, <laughs> not so much about death. So <laughs> um, yeah, so like Scott mentioned today, we're going to talk about baking history in Chicago. We're going to talk about some of the great bakeries that have been in the city and still are in the city. And then we're going to talk about some turning points in the city's bakery scene. Now, to really understand where our bakery culture in Chicago is today, we have to look back to where it began. And that was here. This is 1779 Chicago. It's John Baptiste, John Baptiste Point de Sable and his wife. They had a bake shop right there on the river in the 1700s. This is his original homestead. He's down there in the corner. You can see he's probably thinking about where does he want to put his bake shop? Because clearly there's only just one building. <laughs> so it started with him. And then about 100 years after that, in the 1930s, Flour milling became a big industry in Chicago. <clears throat> Pardon me. And that's when bakeries really started to kind of pick up. And 50 years later in, the, in 1880, Chicago officially started licensing their bakeries. And at one point, there were about 7,000 bakeries in Chicago covering pretty much every ethnic group in Chicago. So Chicago's always had a pretty big baking scene. There were some great organizations and institutions that started here, like the Retail Bakers of America, 
the American Institute of Baking, Sara Lee, Eli's Cheesecake, and even the brownie itself, which was invented by Bertha Palmer at the Palmer House Hilton. So I kind of separate the history of bakeries in Chicago into three different generations. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. And the first generation here is from the 1880s to the 1910s. And this was from when they, when the city started officially licensing bakeries through the first wave of immigration. So immigrants came in a wave, stopping here at this picture of Ellis Island <laughs> first. They came looking for a better life. And from 1880 to 1910, the population of Chicago grew from 503,000 to about 2 million. And everybody was settling into their own little homeland communities. So bakeries at the time were kind of a snapshot of that homeland. And they were opened generally by master bakers or bakery owners who had owned bakeries bakers in their or bakeries in their home country so bread at the time was the primary focus of bakeries um, bakeries were delivering bread direct to people's homes there were special bread boxes outside of houses and businesses just for the bread in this picture is baker Giuseppe Esposito <laughs> and I love this picture of him kissing this loaf of Italian bread this is at Pompeii, which opened in 1909, and it's still open. It's in Little Italy. And at this time, people began claiming allegiance to certain bread companies, which is what leads to what I like to call the Battle of the Bread. So in the Battle of the Bread, we have two contenders. That's Ganella and S. Rosen, which are two icons that have currently fierce followings and have always had fierce followings. Toronto fans, I'm sorry, but they won't be around for another 60 years yet at this point in the presentation, but they are on the way. So I'm going to talk a little, about, a little bit about Ganella. Ganella makes Vienna bread. You can see him holding a bag of it there. They also make French bread, Italian bread, and hot dog buns. Ganella started in 1886 after, I'm probably going to butcher all of these names, so <laughs> I apologize. Um, so it started in 1886 after Alessandro Ganella bought the bakery he was working in after he arrived from Italy. He had he when he decided he wanted to buy it, he had to send away to Italy for help. And his arranged wife, Mariana Marcucci, and her brothers came to help. Now you're gonna keep in mind that this wasn't like, hey, I'm gonna send an email or a text message. At this point, he had to mail a letter to Italy, wait for a response, probably reply again, and then wait for people to come over. So it would have taken months, um, but yeah, they managed to do it. And by the early 1900s, they had a factory and a storefront on Erie Street. So first, Ganella delivered direct to homes. And then by the 1940s, they focused on delivering to grocery stores and restaurants. And today they have five facilities in Illinois and Pennsylvania, making about three million pounds of dough every week. Um, and the board of directors is on the fourth generation of family leadership. So these pictures here on the left is Ganella driver Hank DeVia. This is in 1986. He was selling bread downtown. You can see the Picasso statue behind him for 20 cents a loaf to celebrate the company's 100th anniversary. But people were handing him money. So he was selling them for 20 cents a loaf, but people would give him like a dollar, $5, $20, telling him to just keep the change because they wanted the bread so much. And it was, it was a fundraiser. So everyone was, of course, happy to donate something. It was a March of Dimes fundraiser and all of the proceeds went directly to March of Dimes. On the right is the sign from the Erie Street plant. It is now at another location of theirs, but it's still functional. 
Okay, so let's talk about S. Rosen. S. Rosen is part of the alpha baking family, and they're known for rye bread and hot dog buns. In fact, I have um, two loaves of S. Rosen bread in my kitchen at the moment. Uh, So S. Rosen was started by Sam Rosen. He first came to New York City where he was running a bakery there and was really famous for the rye bread. When he came to Chicago in 1909 to start S. Rosen's here, but it was under a different name. It was under the New York Baking Company. But he's interesting because in New York City, he formed the first bakers union there and he led a strike for better hours for bakers. And the strike worked. So it was a successful strike, but he was injured. He was hit over the head by a strike breaker and he lost hearing in one of his ears. So after that, he came to Chicago in 1909 and he started selling his rye bread here. And again, he became famous for rye bread here, just like he did in in New York. Um, In 1981, Alpha Baking Company acquired S. Rosen, but they still use the original starter that Sam Rosen brought over for his rye bread. So basically every loaf of rye bread that you get from S. Rosen's is more than hundred years old, which I think is just really cool. So Alpha also owns Marianne Bakery. Marianne Bakery is famous for the poppy seed hot dog buns. And they're famous for being the first official supplier of buns to McDonald's. Uh, 95% of the hot dog vendors in the city use Alpha Baking's poppy seed buns. And they, they uh, like to play around with that. They made, had a record for the largest hot dog bun in the world in 2004. And it was 37.2 feet long. Um, they also will have like the news come to the, to the manufacturing plant and talk about how many poppy seeds are on each bun. And they like have somebody sitting there with a little magnifying glass, like counting the amount of poppy seeds on each bun. It's kind of, they've done it for years. It's very funny. Um, in 2005, they got together with Vienna beef to solve the problem of mismatched numbers of buns and hot dogs and packages. And it was called the peace treaty, but it was spelled P I E C E. And so what they did was they, I believe, um, alpha baking company updated the amount of buns that were in each package so that there wasn't any leftover buns or meat, because what happened was there was some research done that showed that they were wasting about 2 million buns a year. So uh, you'll still see at the grocery store today that they're sold in a different amount than the rest of the hot dog buns on sale. So rye bread, the S. Rosen's rye bread also didn't escape the stunts. Um, and, And this is my favorite story. About the 1950s, the Harlem Globetrotters were really popular in Chicago. And according to news outlets at the time, the Globetrotters could do anything except um, eat the basketball. So, of course, the Harlem Globetrotters took it as a challenge and they reached out to S. Rosen and said, hey, we want to be able to eat our basketball. So S. Rosen took a basketball and baked a loaf of rye bread around it. And because at the time, um, basketballs were kind of dark, about the same darkness as um, as rye bread. So it looked like a basketball if you were looking from the audience. So they would have it on the on the um, the court, and they would be doing tricks and passing it around. And then somebody would stop and take a bite out of the basketball, <laughs> and they would pass it around a little bit more, and someone would stop and take another bite out of the basketball. So. 
Now the news had to say they can do everything, including eat the basketball. <laughs> so the picture of the, the t-shirts from the 2019 hot dog festival. And on the right is one of the original rye bread advertisements where you can still see the name of the original bakery, New York Baking Company. And then I said that I prefer S. Rosen. Um, sorry, Canelo lovers. <laughs> Okay, so bread was big, uh, but some of the oldest bakeries and pastry shops in the city opened in this time frame, the 1880s to the 1910s. Uh, some examples include Fingerhut, Charles Fingerhut Bakery. There are still two locations in Indiana, though they are closed in the city. The, <coughs> pardon me. There's Scafuri Bakery. Um, one of the stories I really like about them is that Luigi Scafuri, the owner, he gave out free bread during the Depression on Saturdays. So families that needed bread would be able to get it for free, which is just so lovely. Um, Vasecki's opened during this time and they are famous for their long lines. The longest ever noted in the media really is about three hours long. There's this guy who was there just before Easter and they were like, why are you staying in line this long? He goes, I've already been here a couple hours. Why would I leave? <laughs> so, um, and then Dressel's opened as well during this time. So Dressel's is closed, but they were famous for their Friggy Breeze cake. It was a, a chocolate whipped cream cake. And it was absolutely famous. They had, when they first invented it, they had to have the police come to manage lines outside because they were selling like 10,000 a week. It was ridiculous. So Dressel's Bakery is closed, but people who loved the Dressel's whipped cream cake, there is a little known secret that it lives on. You can purchase a very close replica at Wolf's Bakery in Evergreen Park. And that, that recipe, so what they did was they wanted to replicate the cake for people who liked it. And what they did was they tested and tested and tested and had the community come in and taste it. So the community would be like, oh, no, this isn't right. Here's what's wrong. Here's what should be different. And then they eventually perfected it to the point where the Dressel's family came in and said, this is great. Here's our original recipe for you. So now they're able to just completely make it. So the picture here are cookies from Wagner's Bakery. Wagner's was a European bakery that was opened in 1918 by Jacob Wagner. In about the year 2000, the owners sold it to the Flores family. Um, the neighborhood had the neighborhood had transitioned to a Mexican neighborhood at the time, and the owners, the Flores family, wanted to make sure that they were satisfying their current customers and the bakery's past customers. So, if you go to the bakery today, on the east side of the store is all of the Mexican sweets and desserts. And on the west side of the store is all of Wagner's original European treats. So during this time period, the oldest bakery in Chicago opened, but there is a bit of a debate about which one it was, which leads to this friendly competition between Roser's Bakery and Ferrara Baking Company. I'm not sure which one is who. I just think it's a great picture. So, so let's talk about Ferrara first. Ferrara opened in 1908 by Salvatore Ferrara. He came over from Italy. His family had a pastry and baking background when they were in Italy. And this was the first Italian pastry shop in the city. In 1918, Salvatore married Serafina Pagano. And she had also come over from Italy when she was about nine years old. She didn't speak any English at all. So by this point, she was speaking 
decent English, understandable English. <laughs> and and uh, she took over, helped take over the company. So Ferrara also was making candy at the time. They were making Jordan almonds. They invented lemon heads, which are one of my personal favorite candies. They invented fireballs. They invented red hots. And I think they also invented the, um, the Boston baked bean candies. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but demand was too high with the two, com- two sides of the company. They couldn't keep up. So in 1920, they separated into two companies, Ferrara bakery, which handles all the baked goods and Ferrara Pan Candy Company, which handles all the candy. Both of them still in business today. In 1922, Serafina took over the bakery. You can see her down there in the corner, um, back against the storefront. So they quickly became famous for enormous cannoli cakes and also for cannoli wedding cakes and also for Serafina herself. So Serafina was just amazing. She opened the first catering hall in Chicago. It was called Chateau Royale and it opened in 1955. And she was also an amazingly generous person. So she would give jobs to kids in the neighborhood who just needed to get off the street for the summer. She would give families food if they were hungry. She would help her employees pay down payments on homes. She held uh, Christmas parties for impoverished children and their families. She helped build a halfway house in the neighborhood and a retirement home. But one of the most interesting things I think is that she went to every single wake in the neighborhood just to support the family. Even if she didn't know who they were, she would just show up and be there to as emotional support. And it got to the point where funeral homeowners would just start leaving out a chair for her because they knew she was going to show up even if she didn't know anybody. So I just... I think that's so wonderful. And she ended up being godmother to about 200 local kids, which earned her the nickname, the angel of Halstead street. Um, Ferrara is still open. Her granddaughter runs it now. Her name is Nella and she is absolutely lovely. So in these pictures, you can see on the left is a postcard from 1925. Serafina is there in the doorway on the bottom with her brother, James. In the middle is the sign of the bakery today. You can also see my car if you look closely. (laughs) And then on the right is one of those massive wedding cakes that Ferrara became famous for. So you can see Serafina in the back there standing on a ladder behind the cake to reach the top because they were so tall. They fed something like a thousand people. Um, So Rosers then, these pictures are from Rosers. They opened in 1911. And they've been in the same spot since. Ferrara has moved, um, but Rosers has stayed in the same spot. John Roser Sr. opened it after he came over from Germany, and he ran a wholesale bakery here for two years first. The recipes today at Roser's Bakery are pretty much the same as they were when he came over and opened the bakery. Um, Some of the favorites are the cookies there, the butter loaf, the hot milk sponge cake. Uh, John IV runs it now. And I apologize for my math skills. I have no idea how many generations that is. So in these pictures on the left is the Roser family in 1953. And on the right is the sign that's still in use today and still on the building. So the question comes down to who is the oldest? And you can kind of look at it a couple different ways, right? So Roser's opened in 1911, but the owner had a bakery business since 1909. Ferrara opened in 1908, 
but they moved and split into two companies. Plus, Ferrara is a, base, a pastry shop and not a bakery. So if you think about it, they're both the oldest. Ferrara is the oldest Italian pastry shop and Rosers is the oldest bakery. So from there, we move on to the second generation of bakeries in Chicago, which is from the 1920s to the 1940s. At this point, the city was changing and the shoppers were changing along with it. So ethnic groups in the different neighborhoods were still strong, but the community was beginning to integrate, which was leading to more diverse options in the bakery cases. Davidson's Bakery, which you can see in this picture, opened in this time in the 1920s by Sam Davidson. By 1982, when they closed the stores and sold all the recipes to Heinemann's, there was a chain of about 15 Davidson's bakery shops. People here loved the cheesecake and the cheesecake's mascot, which was Miss Cheesecake. And they had one of the coolest marketing materials I have ever seen. It was a matchbook for Davidson's bakeries where each match, each individual match is a chef. And then the match heads are the chef hats. And it's just, it's so clever. Um, so people who loved Davidson's and loved the cheesecake might have a similar taste today from Sarah Lee, particularly because Sarah Lee's founder, Charles Lucan, I think, was Davidson's, um, was Sam Davidson's brother-in-law. So in this picture is one of the Davidson's storefront. My favorite thing about it is the sign that says diet bread, because that is hilarious to me. Um, so now I'm going to talk about Dinkles. German bakery Dinkles opened about the same time as Davidson's in 1922. It was founded by Joseph Dinkel and his wife, Antony, in the original Dutch boy paint shops. And we'll come back to that because it's important. But Antony worked in the front of the bakery and she got tired of bending down. Every time someone wanted something, she had to bend down into the case and stand back up. So she solved the problem and she invented a new case called the Chicago Showcase. And the Chicago Showcase is at counter height. So if you want to get something out of the case, you're going to bend down, you just reach your hands out and grab it. So she saved her back and revolutionized bakeries. Dinkles is known for Stalin, coffee cake, sweet rolls, and German baked goods. They still are known for all of that today. Um, they were almost shut down in the 1970s. And this is how we get back to the Dutch Boy paint shop. So in the when Dutch Boy was there, they basically took all of their leftover trash chemicals and dumped them into a little sewer thing in the basement. And so in the 1970s, the city came in to do an, an inspection and Norm Dinkle Jr. Owns it, owned it at the time. He still owns it now, but uh, he, uh, he was there and they came in, surprise, we're going to inspect your bakery. And he's like, yeah, okay, go ahead. So they're looking around, they're looking around, they go into the basement, they're opening things that haven't been opened in like a hundred years. And suddenly they have all these reports of toxic chemicals just oozing out of the basement in the bakery. And they said, Hey man, we gotta shut you down. You can't do this. There's so much toxic chemicals in here. And, and Norm says, no, 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 we don't know what you're talking about. That's not us. And so they pushed back. They made the city test every other part of the building and they didn't find any chemicals anywhere else. So I think they just like resealed the thing and left it there. Although I'm hoping that they emptied it out. I'm not hundred percent sure, but they didn't get shut down. Dinkles is still there today, which is very exciting because I love them. So Norm Jr. still owns it now. His current successor, uh, his successor currently works there. 
So these pictures on the left is Joseph Dinkel with a tray of Stalin. That picture was in a magazine um, and they have it hanging on the wall, which is lovely. And on the right is the 1885 view of Lincoln Avenue. And you can see the Dutch boy paint shop there where the sign says paints. And on the inset is the Dinkel sign that's still there today. So other bakeries that opened that time in that time period that are still operating today are bakeries like Alliance, uh, Reuters, Heinemann's, though Heinemann's is pretty much only in grocery stores now. All of the actual bakeries themselves are closed. Um, there's, I think their coffee cake is still for sale in the grocery store and some cookies. There's some other things. Uh, Levinson's opened during this time period, Bay's English Muffins, Venison's up in Evanston, Calumet Bakery, Wolf's, Tea Check opened in this bakery or in this time period. And my mom told me after I was, while I was working on the book that my great grandma used to go there, which I think is just so cool that <laughs> I can go there and be like, Hey, my great grandma was here. Um, Allegretti's opened at this time. Lutz opened at this time and Weber's opened at this time. So in this picture is a table of wedding sweets by Allegretti's. They're called Castagnol and they're fried dough balls that are covered in like a hard sugar icing. Um, and they, they were really popular at weddings. They still are. So I want to talk about Weber's though. So Weber's at one point was ranked the best bakery in Illinois. They're actually ranked that more than once. And I think it's hundred percent deserved because they're wonderful. So in this picture is Eric R. Weber and he has a city of Chicago birthday cake. His father, Eric H. Weber opened the bakery in 1930. He was also a German immigrant like Dinkle. Uh, their signature item is the banana split tort, which is their version of the atomic cake. So if you know the atomic cake, the atomic cake is a chocolate layer, a, no, I'm sorry, a banana layer, a chocolate cake, and a yellow cake layer. And in, in the layers are custard, fresh bananas, fresh strawberries, strawberry cream, and the whole thing's covered in a whipped cream frosting. It is delicious. It doesn't hold up very well if you have to drive for an hour after, so just keep that in mind, but absolutely delicious. Weber's version has a banana cake on the bottom and a banana cake on the top. So they call it the banana split tort because they split the banana cake into two pieces. They're also a founding member of the Baker's Dozen. And the Baker's Dozen is a group of 13, Baker's Dozen, 13 bakers from the oldest family-owned bakeries in and around Chicago. And they meet together once a month to basically work together and improve their product for all of us and for all of them. And I believe that it has helped keep these bakeries in business because they are sharing, sharing tips with each other, uh, sharing recipes, just you know, really becoming close and working together to make sure that their products are the best they can be. So Weber's today is on the third generation. The fourth generation is currently working there. Okay, so then we get to the third generation of Chicago bakeries. And that was from the 1950s to the 1970s. Now from the 1950s on, bakeries truly were embracing the multicultural neighborhoods that they existed in. Locals wanted unfamiliar goods and bakers learned how to make them. 
So that led to widespread availability of different treats like punchki, which are the Polish filled pastries that I think punchki day is March 1st. It's become this big thing, a big party. So everybody remember to get your punchki um, and bacon buns, which were originally Lithuanian breakfast rolls that are stuffed. It's like a, a bread roll that's stuffed with bacon chunks. And the ones that I've had also have onions in them which uh, I like more than the original ones. <laughs> um, so the, the ones that I like the most come from La Petite Pastry by Midway. Uh, they're kind of like a flaky dough and they're stuffed with bacon and onions and it's just, oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> so um, some of the much loved bakeries that opened then are Sicilian Bakery, which opened in 1952 and became famous almost immediately for Zeppeli and Sicilian pizza. Uh, El Nopal, which opened in 1954. Now they became famous. You can see the sign here. They became famous for their hojarasca or hoyarasca. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Their heart-shaped cinnamon cookies that were invented by Celia Bonilla, who was the wife of, of uh, the, the owner, Francisco Bonilla. These cookies are so good. <laughs> and they're really good to dip into like tea or coffee. They're a little crumbly. They're very sweet. It's cinnamon sugar, Hoya Rasca heart-shaped cookies. Definitely try them. Uh, and one of the things I like about them is that the bakery is still open today and people that have been going there for generations go in and say that the cookies are still exactly the same as they were before because the recipe hasn't changed. It doesn't need to, it's perfect. And so another interesting story about El Nopal is that at one point, um, Francisco Bonilla, the owner, was working and saw across the street a building on fire. And he, I don't remember the exact year, so I apologize, but he saw the building on fire and he left the bakery. He went across the street and he knocked on every door he could and woke up as many people as he could to get them out of bed and out of the building. And that day, because he went over and knocked on all those doors, he saved 65 lives, which is just wonderful. Absolutely incredible. Um, some other bakeries that opened at this point, Toronto in 1962, which was uh, the bread company that's still there. And they actually made the first mass produced grocery store frozen pizza. And uh, they actually sell it like you can go to Toronto's bake shop today and you can get the pizza uh, warmed, like freshly baked. And it's called Mama Susie's Pizza. There's also D'Amato's Bakery, which opened in 1971. And they're interesting because their ovens are coal fired. And they're one of only two bakery or two places in the city that have coal fired ovens. So they get a shipment of coal in from Indiana. They fill their um, little coal things. I can't remember what it's called. And they, they light it. And then the rest of the day, the ovens are heated from the residual heat from the coal. And the other place that uses coal is a pizza place. Um, I don't know where they are or what their name is. So I apologize for that. Um, Old Fashioned Donuts opened in 1972 on the South Side. And that is owned by Burt Bullock. And he is over 80 years old. And he still goes into the bakery every morning to start making his donuts. People call him the Donut King because he's so well known in the area for, for donuts. Um, I did read that his his children want him to retire, but he won't. So, um, so in this one, I, I want to talk about by so by the early 90s, there were only 440 
four bakeries left out of that original more than 7,000. And now there's even less. And the big question is why, right? And it's because people got more fully equipped home kitchens and they were able to keep perishables better for longer. And grocery store bakeries like this beautiful picture of the inside of a Kroger, (laughs) they started selling budget goods at subpar quality, par-baked probably months before they even put them out on the shelf. Um, It's the ingredients are low quality. It's not a real baked good. Um, And there's also budget brands um, that became popular. And so the family owned scratch made bakeries are dying out, but I think that we're lucky to have the ones that we still do today. Now, since everyone asks, I will tell you my favorite two bakeries are Weber's and Dinkle's. And now it is time for a Q and A, but first I want to ask everyone a question. What is your favorite bakery? Fields, Florial, Jarosh. Weber's. Ooh, Donut Den in Joliet. I'll have to try that. Yeah, this is great. For our pastry. Mm-hmm. Lost Larson. So good. Prosecchi's, Porto's, Tags, Cafe Lutz. Yeah, I was just actually just at Cafe Lutz. I bought um, some uh, Kalashki for my brother. Is that the same as Lutz's Bakery? Yeah, it's the uh... same. Mm-hmm. I thought it, had, it, it that was very much a German bakery. And I've had the impression it was now owned by Greeks. Is that right? Um, you know, I, I don't know for sure, actually. I would have to double check on that. I know their food is still delicious. Their baked goods are still quite good. <laughs> um, yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks, everybody, for for sharing all your favorite places. And if anybody has any questions, please put them in the Q and A or type them into chat and we can, we can answer them for you. Somebody was asking, it was a Ganella bread if it was being sold at Walmart, but I'm, I'm looking for it right now. I'm, I'm not even, Oh, by the way, you know, the Dressel cake that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, Monica Cass Rogers mm-hmm. reverse engineered that cake. Yeah. Yeah, for and it's on her website. Yeah, it's also in the book. So oh, oh, great, 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 yeah. great. Um, uh, does Ferrara sell bread in Walmart? I have not been to a Walmart in a very long time, so I couldn't tell you. Okay, I, I don't. the The years that I went to Walmart, I I never saw it, but I was in the suburbs, so I'm not sure. So, did you have any idea what that diet bread was? Yeah, it was low sugar and low, um, here, let's go back to the slide and we can see. It said right on the door beneath it. It was, yeah. Sign says sugar and salt free. Somebody was also. My slides keep moving. There we go. Salt free and sugar free. So yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Um, I saw somebody in the chat wanted to know what happened to Augusta Bakery. So Augusta was really well known for rye bread. Um, and I believe they were purchased, um, and they sold their rye bread to, I think it's Augusta that sells their rye bread at a deli in Niles. Oh, wow. That's a big description when you say a deli in Niles. (laughs) There it is. That's true. And I can never remember the name of it. Um, but it's like, yeah, hold on. I'll find it. Augusta Bakery. Uh, there was also a discussion about the last name of the family that founded Sarah Lee. 
and it it was Lubin or Lucan. Lucan, L U K or L U B? L U. I'm double checking. L U. Oh, it was it was oh. Lubin. 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 L U B. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. So my information about Augusta was wrong. Uh, I was thinking of a Imperial Rye, which is at the at the um, the deli. But Augusta, uh, the owner Leonard, uh, he retired and handed the bakery to his son Lawrence. And then there was a lot of um, labor disputes, and they ended up closing because of the uh, labor disputes and a battle and divorce court to figure out ownership of the bakery. They closed in the 1990s. Uh, does your book mention Rain and Bakery, which was located uh, near Southport and Barrie? It does mention Rain and's Bakery. And Rain and's Bakery kind of operation. Their granddaughter, the owners of Rain and's, her name is Trisha, and she runs a bakery in the suburbs. It doesn't have a storefront, but she sells her stuff at farmer's markets and takes, takes special orders. Um, and some of the same recipes from Raynan's are available to businesses called Trisha's Bake Shop. Okay, here were just sort of kind of comments. I guess it was a discussion regarding uh, coal. And mm-hmm. so there's coal fire pizza mm-hmm. in, in Chicago. And then the, Gloria made the comment many years ago on holidays, people would bring their roasts to the bakeries to be cooked. Everyone didn't have ovens, and that was the way as we do now. Um, then somebody was acquiring. Oh, I guess this is now into the list of favorite um, <laughs> bakeries, which I'll just scroll through. Um, uh, well, Ann Fisher made the astute cabbage because I suppose, like a lot of people, my favorite was the one closest to my home. <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfect because that's the way it is with pizza and barbecue yeah. and Italian beefs. And for yeah. her, the Oak Park Bakery at uh, at Oak Park and the Eisenhower was her favorite. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm lucky because my favorite is uh, Lost Larson. One of it's the closest to my house. <laughs> it's not my favorite favorite, but it's the closest. So And there's always a line outside because you can't go inside, right? Yeah, yeah. They're doing currently um, pickup only, but they did just open one in Wicker Park. And I'm not sure if they're letting people go into the bakery there yet. Um, okay, this is a question which maybe other people may offer a response, but uh, this person like the former country maid in Northbrook for their cake style cheesecake. And do you know any bakeries that make cake style cheesecake? Not off the top of my head, but I would love if anyone else knows if they can throw it in the chat. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just flipping through because there's See, there's a lot of questions. I'm kind of scrolling through the chat. I think I'm behind you. <laughs> oh, and here's somebody else. My grandfather, Morris Deutsch, had Madison Home Bakery, which closed in the 1960s. It's now the United Center. <laughs> well, at least it had a good future. Exactly. <laughs> uh, someone asked if I could repeat how many of the 7,000 bakeries are still in business. By the 1990s, there were 444 uh, and there are even less today. I'm not sure of the exact amount. Um, so. a, a bakery that is near me that I will not say, um, to me, their cakes taste like it came from a mix. Oh, that's because unfortunate. Because of that, I 
don't go there any longer. And I'm not going to say the name because I'm not going to be that mean. Um, how did you choose what bakeries to put in the book? So I crowdsourced it. I mean, I, I used the, I first put down the list of the bakeries that I knew and I wanted to include uh, like Dinkles and Rosers, Weber's. Um, I mentioned Deerfields in the in the introduction because I love Deerfields, but they're not in the city, so they don't get much more of a mention than that. Um, and then I asked some historic Chicago groups who all shared places that they loved. And I also looked in the archives, um, the city archives, to see what I could find. And I had something like 450 bakeries to choose from. And I had to whittle it down because there was no way all of those would fit. Um, so I narrowed it down based on who I could get in touch with that would talk to me. Um, one of the bakeries absolutely did not want to talk to me. And every time I stopped in, the baker would run out the back door, which was just very strange, <laughs> but that's fine. So I narrowed it down by who, who I could talk to, um, and who had, um, a, a presence in research materials more or less so that I would actually have something to say about them instead of just the bakery was here and it was great. Okay. So what fuel source did the bakery ovens from the first period that's 1880 to 1930 use? Was it coal, wood, gas, oil? And if I, and, and why, if you can. Sure. There was a combination. Generally, it was um, wood-fired ovens or gas ovens. And one of the bakeries actually had like a portable gas oven that they would carry with them and then open up <laughs> every day. Um, and they eventually updated to these big rotating gas ovens. Uh, I think that's basically the most available type of oven that was around then. Um, so yeah, either wood or gas. Okay. Here's a question that I'm not sure you can answer, but somebody might and put it in the chat. They go, I remember a bread bakery, which my uncle William would bring home fresh loaves circa 1972. The building is still there at 821 North Cicero. Could someone recall its name? And, and this is where maybe looking at an old telephone book, even though there's a lot of entries to to fan through might be of help. Yeah, I don't. I just say that as an idea. I don't think I can answer that one without doing some uh, offline research. Oh sure. Yeah. Um, well, I guess you explained how you chose the bakeries. Basically, you said by by crowdsourcing. Mm -hmm. um, somebody said the Deerfield Bakery was the Schmidt family. Oh, cool. Um, is it salt and sugar free Tucson? Tuscan bread. Tuscan bread. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's diet. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay, so the cheesecake style. I don't know. That might be somewhere else. Cake style. Um, I'm looking for a Danish rye bread recipe from Deerfields. Any idea how to get it? Call Deerfields. They're still open. So. <laughs> They may be willing to share it. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with how many bakeries were willing to share recipes with me, uh, not just for this, but also for some articles that I wrote. So that's your best bet. Go in there or call them and see if they'll share it. I don't know if Milano and Joliet counts, but I had some of their pizza and Ruski over Christmas. It might be my new favorite place. Ooh, um, Pizza, you don't see too many places. 
Yeah. Do you know that okay. one? I haven't really seen it anywhere. Well, I don't think, I'm not entirely sure in, what it is. We found one in a bakery in Northwest Indiana. Um, it's sort of a leaven bread and it's like with nuts. Oh, and, things, okay. and it's rolled up, rolled up, rolled up. And then it's like folded in half and put into a bread. It's it's from Eastern Europe. Okay. Like you'll see Petitza from Poland. You'll see it from former Yugoslavia. Right, right. Um, in your research, did you hear of any pizza coming out of Ferrara Bakery in the early 1900s in Chicago? In the early 1900s, no, but they do sell pizza today. Uh, did you find any early Chicago bakery licenses in an archive? If so, which one? Or did you just find references to the licenses in other publications, books, or journals? I did find some for older bakeries that were not discussed in the talk. One of them was W.A. Wallace Bakery Company. Um, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head, but they were, I think they opened in the late 1800s. Um, what was the rest of that question? Um, I'll, I'll reread the whole thing case because sure. it's easy to forget. Did you find any early Chicago bakery licenses in an archive? If so, which one? Or did you just find references to the licenses in other publications like books or journals? That was a combination of both. I did, like I said, I found the, the license for W.A. Wallace and for a couple others that um, I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, otherwise it was um, mentions of them in other old newspapers and things like that. Okay, this one I think I even know the answer. But my family always got the Queen Elizabeth cake from Schmidt's Bakery for birthdays. Does anyone remember that place? I don't remember Schmidt's, but I know Deerfield's has offered a Queen Elizabeth cake because I bought it. Ooh, sorry. But, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you distinguish between bakeries and patisseries? So patisseries are mostly pastries. So like little tarts and pies and cakes and things like that. And bakeries also sell bread and baked goods like muffins, essentially. So bready type things on the bakery side, pastries on the patisserie side. Um, not quite sure what the question is, but what about the Swedish bakery? Swedish bakery is great. Um, they are obviously no longer there. They've been replaced by a medical office. Um, <laughs> you know, when they closed, uh, they closed on Punchy Day and in 20, 2016, maybe. And the line was 180 people deep just lining to sidewalk down. But I do talk about them in my book, not as much as I would have liked to, because there's another imprint or another book by my publisher that mentions it much more in depth. And they told me not to repeat myself or not okay. to repeat other books. <laughs> sure. Simmas has a cake, cheesecake with chocolate ganache. Delicious. Julia Child visited there. Oh, wow. Cool. That sounds great. Where is Simmas? Oh, Does anyone know? I, that's a question I hope somebody might answer. There's 68 additional messages from where I'm at at the moment. <laughs> um, there was a bakery on North between Rosers and the maternity Blessed Virgin Mary. I know what BVM is in the 1950s, but don't remember the name. And again, this is where an old telephone book might come in handy. Yeah. Um, blended Sweet Boutique 
does cake style cheesecakes, uh, does pop-ups around Albany Park. Ooh, that's great to know. Blended sweet. Uh, I'm gonna write that down. Blended sweet boutique. I'll send you the um, the entire uh, <laughs> chat. Unless they send something directly to you, that I can't do. Okay. Um, for commercial bakeries, I miss Maurice Linnell pinwheel cookies. Oh, pinwheel cookies are so good. Okay, Stop and Shop had a fantastic. Are Salerno cookies still around? They are still around, yeah. Where are they located? Uh, no, well, I don't know if the bakery itself is still open, but I still have the cookies. Because I know I've been to the Niles... Uh, history center and they have a, a little exhibit related to Salerno's. Yeah. I don't, I'm not entirely sure actually. Um, but I did want to make, so Eileen in the chat said Beals bakery and Montrose Montrose was wonderful. They did move to Wisconsin, but they are no longer in operation. Um, they closed in 2019, I think. Jay Hirsch, my current favorite bakery is Kasama. In Ukrainian village, the pastries are French. I have heard wonderful things about them, but I have not yet gone. I'm going to have to make it over there. Uh, is there another bakery doing a Danish rye? A Danish rye? That isn't uh, the people in Deerfield. I don't think so. I think it's mostly Polish rye, but I'm not 100% sure. So if... if if someone else knows, please put it in the chat. Okay. Uh, who sells Kolachki? Uh, Lutz sells Kolachki. The grocery store sells Kolachki. There's um, in Jefferson Park, there's a little European bakery that sells Kolachki. Um, pretty much everywhere that I've been recently has, has been selling it. So just look uh, on the very top shelf of the bakery case is where they usually are. Um, I have the recipes that my grandfather used at Madison Home Bakery. They were free, huge, making huge quantities. I suspect they can't simply reduce the quantities. Yeah, it's that's tricky. true. When it's I was talking tricky. to Dinkles, I was asking for a recipe and he had for like 10 people or 10 servings. And he said he couldn't do it because the, the recipes that they use are for like 500 pounds of brownies. So it would just be practically impossible to to easily reduce it. Uh, how can I find the address of a Chicago bakery owned by my great-grandparents around 1880-1910? Newberry Library, perhaps? Yeah, Newberry Library is a great place to start. The uh, Chicago History Museum, they have a lot of research materials that are available. Um, you can go to newspapers.com and you can put in any search terms that you might know and limit it to newspapers from that time period. Um, and that could be helpful. Um, the Illinois, there's Illinois state archives that might be able to help you as well. Um, I'm going to send you, I'm going to introduce to, if you don't mind, this question about uh, bakery licenses has popped up again. And he just was wondering what archive were they in? That is a good question that I would have to go back and look because it's been a while since I pulled them. <laughs> okay, maybe they maybe I can um we'll take care of that afterwards. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um now that we're talking about ethnic bakeries, there's nothing like finding great conscience. Another thing you can't get good in a regular grocery store. Hundred percent conscious delicious. <laughs> I actually live down the street from a, a Mexican bakery called La Baguette that sells them. They're so good. 
Now, is the trick is to get there when they come out of the oven? Because I haven't had one I liked. Sorry. Yeah, get there that. early. Get there when they're coming out. Uh, and somebody said you didn't mention tortilla bakeries, but that's like a whole. Yeah, the I did not. Um, that's a whole nother style of bakery that I, I really needed to kind of narrow it down. So they got kind of left out, unfortunately. I mean, uh, here's some, El Milagro is delicious. So. Here's some fan mail. I love your writing style. Your books are so informative with intriguing anecdotes that make it so personal. You really do your research. All of your books have been phenomenal, but this one's my favorite. There you go. Thank you, Buffy. <laughs> That's very sweet. I'm just looking for questions that... Uh, now, there's also been, like, the, there was, like, the Eastern European bread. Um, there was one on the south side that just kind of disappeared a few years ago. They um, made really good Eastern European breads. Was it Naples, by any chance? No. Naples is the only one I can think of that closed fairly recently. No, this closed, like, maybe five to ten years ago. Vulcan uh, Bakery? Yes. Which, which one was it? Could you repeat again? Balkan Bakery. Oh, Balkan Bakery, yes. Okay. I adored their pumpernickel brick. I was heartbroken when it left the world. Oh. Yeah. Maybe someone's still around that worked there that can give you the recipe. Uh, by the way, so somebody was talking about uh, Kaufman's Bagel Bakery on Kezie and Montrose deserves a mention. Yes, Kaufman. Uh, what a uniter. The attendees of Our Lady of Mercy Church's Sunday Mass would stop for bagels before heading home. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, their bagels are are great. Um, someone says, do you know La Frenette? I do because my friend goes there to buy baguettes every weekend. So, um, and and Delightful I Pastries in Jefferson Park makes terrific breads with an emphasis on alternative grains and wonderful pastries, and uh, their uh, pastry chef, Dobra Belinsky, is, I don't think she's here tonight, but uh, she's been a member on and off over the years. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're still there. I drove past them the other day, actually, but I, I, don't, I haven't actually stopped in, but I've heard a lot of good things. Um, I do see a question about- She does about... sourdough. She does do oh. sourdough-type breads. Excellent. Um, I see a question about who has the best Irish soda bread, uh, Weber's, in my opinion, has the best Irish soda bread. Uh, but I, I think you, I do. <laughs> you, well, you do, of course. And there's then never Weber's. enough in Irish soda bread. Yeah. Dinkles sells it as well. Um, and they gave me a loaf that was fresh, hot out of the oven, and it was so good. Mm. Oh, Becky's, help. Becky's like Bruce Madeline's, I need Davidson's cheese flaky. Where can I find one? I don't think the cheese flakies are sold anymore, unfortunately. I think they died with Davidson's. Oh, that's too bad. I know. And I think I managed to reach the end. All right. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> uh, but there was a sourdough rye that was a German sourdough rye that was sold until maybe like three, four years ago. Um, oh, well, it's, these are the things you don't, you, you miss it and then you have to go figure out how to make it because yeah. it ain't coming back. 
Yeah. The downside of making it is you have to eat the whole loaf yourself. I don't think that's a downside. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's a a plus. (laughs) So Scott, do you have any last words? Yes. um, First of all, thank you for your wonderful, wonderful talk. Well, how can I say it? It's, 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 it's one of the frosting on the culinary historian's cake of wonderful speakers. It, it was just wonderful. Oh, and, uh, and it was sweet and savory. You didn't cover the unsavory that we talked about uh, a few days ago about the, the bakeries that made anatomically correct uh, yeah. um, body, body part cakes. But we'll, we'll save that for another talk. But uh, this talk tonight... I something hit me very powerful. I had totally forgotten this about my family history. My grandfather, Ezra Wansowski, came to this country in 1900, and he started a bakery that was very successful in Chicago called Castle Bakery, and they made rye bread. And I remember when I was a little, he died in 1933. He was killed in an automobile accident, so I never met him or knew much about him. But we would, when my mother would go shopping at the local A&P and we'd get Castle rye bread, it was one of the best rye breads in the city, equal to Rosen's. And she would say, your grandfather started that. And after he died, relatives took it over. Uh, Cousin Harry Jacobs took it over. And Harry's son, Bernie Jacobs, with his wife, Rita, started WFMT. So uh, WFMT has a baking history to it. So anyway, thank you so much. And thank you for reminding me of my own bakery heritage. I feel certified now to belong even more to the culinary historians. So thank you. And I'm going to email you right after this to find out how to order your book. I can't live without it. So thank you, Jennifer. And uh, keep on doing what you're doing. All right. Thanks, everybody. And the research must have been hell. It was so fun. I would go to bakeries and do interviews and they would send me home with big bags of cakes and bread and cookies. (laughs) It was delicious. No kidding. (laughs) Good night, all. Thank you, Jennifer. It was terrific.